There is no comfort. <laughs> there is only private justice. going to say this this time around um anyway we are going to go for this episode we're going to go for a stephen king-esque type small town that no matter what season it is it always feels like autumn uh and also where the children fight monsters uh because this is a really amazing double uh, i'm so glad how this came together uh with a double of dan ateas uh butchered his name silver bullet and chuck russell's the blob Blub, which I will be saying a lot of every time I talk about that movie. Uh, thank you for <laughs> this movie and Patrick Bromley. Um, and here with me is a podcaster and all-around great dude, also sometimes comic writer, and of course the wonderful Andrew Shaw. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thank you for having me back on to talk werewolves. Yes, thank you. I sort of reached out and thought, I wonder if, actually I'm not sure, does Andrew like werewolves? And then you instantly wrote back and goes, yes, I love werewolves. Can Yes, I, I am here. <laughs> Yeah, when when you look at the um, like if you go by, you know, the pantheon of the Universal monsters, and you've got you know, yeah, you got your Frankenstein's monster and your Dracula. The Wolfman has always been my favourite. I think it goes back to when I was a kid seeing Monster Squad for the first time, and you know, Wolfman's got nards and all that. And yeah, it's it's. I think it's why I also love practical effects so much, which we'll get into with with um a couple of these with these movies we're talking oh, about because yeah. uh, the wolf, like you know. Everyone, I would assume, has seen American Werewolf in London, and the you know the, the amazing transformations and things like the howling as well, where it it just looks so painful and it works so well. So I think that's why I just love the the werewolf is just that one where I go, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it really is. I mean, the more I've sort of been watching them and talking about werewolf movies, it seems to be full on the special effects, and because you're really watching someone absolutely transform, even going back to the forty one. Wolfman, where you see that mm. amazing transition, um, time lapse almost um, change of uh, Lon Chaney Jr., and then you're sort of getting into um, Rick Baker's American Werewolf in London, where it looks legitimately painful, like this poor yeah. guy is being broken in every single which way. Um, but also, the werewolf is really memorable. Like you can use it for pretty much any metaphor that you want to use it for, like puberty, coming of age. Um, uh, the, the chicle and hide monster kind of thing it is yeah it's it, it there's a lot going on with with um with the dogger yeah i mean we did um when we did part of the dam and we did the 31 days of october a couple of years ago we covered ginger snaps which is that just that amazing um it's yeah pretty much a metaphor for puberty um yeah. it's in you know and it's such an incredible movie i haven't seen any of the sequels but the, the first one is just so incredible that yeah you can 
you can literally use that werewolf for anything you want and it, and it works so well. It really does. You just put it in. Um, though it does seem to be better when you get the practical effects for it. As much as I love the 2010 Wolfman, Joe Johnston, those CGI wolves kind of that fighting at the end do hurt me a little, but everything else, that, else yeah. about that movie, the fact that it is pretty much universal backlog, I adore, but I'm just like, oh yeah, now we have two werewolves fighting each other in um, just CGI. There's something how it doesn't, the werewolf doesn't seem to always work when it's CGI, even though if there's other stuff going on. It's it's a fascinating dichotomy with this particular creature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just, but I think I, I think it's just the, um like I was always a kid who, you know, would go into the school library and I read every book on monsters and UFOs and things like that. And, you know, the, the day I found out that when it was, you know, oh, I like anthropy, you know, is a is a real mental illness. And that was my brain just went, there's actual werewolves out there. Oh my God. This is yeah. terrifying. <laughs> when you actually realize that, you're just like, wait, what? That's a real thing. And then when you sort of look back, because I was also reading a lot of Grimm's trying to find the original Grimm's fairy tales when I was a kid. Because I suddenly mm. realized that they were very violent and very dark and not <laughs> what I would watch as Cinderella as a kid. And then you're going back and you're finding out, oh wait, Red Riding Hood is a one, it's a sexual assault story and it's also a werewolf story because it's kind of like that, again, that like hmm. what you said. <laughs> I can't say the word. And it's sort of about that, um, the predator in the woods that's out to get you, but at the same time, it is about a sociopath who thinks he's a wolf. And it's like all this kind of thing where you identify with with the wolf and all that kind of thing. It's, it's absolutely fascinating that, yeah, the different takes I've been watching on the werewolf have been absolutely fascinating because mm-hmm. as much as I love vampires, vampires tend to be a couple of things. Like, And I'm not yeah. bad about that, but they tend to be pure monster or sex machine, and there's kind of nothing in between. <laughs> <laughs> Just makes me think of um, From Dust Till Dawn with, um, what's his name? It was uh, Tom Tom Savini's character in From Dust Till Dawn, whose yes. name was Sex Machine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yes! <laughs> <laughs> I just, I always want you to think of Fred Williams who just gone, come on, sex machine. <laughs> who had the cock gun again? Was that um, Savini or was it uh, Treo? Uh, no, that was sex machine. Yeah, it was, yeah, that it was, was sex Savini. Machine. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I need, I need to, I, <laughs> Dust Till Dawn needs a, needs a rewatch. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a few years for me as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, werewolves are kind of awesome. And when you sort of pick Silver Bullet and then I was thinking, oh, because I actually haven't, Sometimes I do like to choose movies on the podcast I haven't seen because, you know, it's a way to watch movies I haven't seen. Um, yep. All I knew about it was that there was a one-eyed preacher and it was a small town. So I was like, maybe the blob? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it actually worked really well. I'm really looking, digging in, especially considering we are talking about a, a much-loved werewolf movie with a much maligned werewolf and one of the best movies of the 80s for special effects or just... yeah. Yeah, so it's um, and also everything else that's going on in in these movies as well. It's not just that there are actually a lot of tentacles, specifically blob tentacles, pulling these movies um movies <laughs> together. <laughs> so we might as well get into it. Uh, as I like to imagine, the curtains are opening, sitting in my uh, uh, imaginary repertory theatre, uh, and uh, Andrew, what is going to be your trailer for Silver Bullet? So my first trailer, oh, the, the trailer I picked for Silver Bullet, um. I went with a bit of a uh, a Corey Haim theme um, for the people who you know the Corey heads out there with Haim and Feldman as we had in the in the eighties there that we all love. Um, I went with uh, watches. Although the research animals which were kept here have been destroyed, absolutely no toxic elements have been released. Into- who escapes? 
GH3. The dog? And one of the oxcoms. Are the oxcom and the dog still telepathically linked? On a biofrequency that only the oxcom can receive. Travis Cornell made a new friend today. And it may just cost him his life. The dog was like a homing device. The creature, a search and destroy missile. You know what happened to Tracy's, don't you? Travis had a dog. No, no pets. Travis, is that you? Can't you control it? It's got to be stopped. <laughs> Not the one I thought you were going to go for. That is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's got, you know, it's got the, uh, I'm not sure if people haven't seen it. Like, I'll just do the quick IMDb, but it's a boy takes in a stray dog, later discovering that it is an ultra-intelligent runaway being stalked by a dangerous creature from the same genetic research lab. And it's one of those ones, I think I saw it on our um, pay TV. You know, one of those movies that gets played so many times that, you know, I reckon I saw the middle then the start, then the ending, and never actually sat down and watched the whole thing. But I, I've seen it since, and it's just a... They made a bunch of sequels as well, but it's just a weird little movie. It's a, it's based on a Dean Kuntz book, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it is. And it's... Yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's Corey Haim. You know, he was all, <laughs> it was everywhere in the 80s. So it was, he, you know, it's a fun little monster thriller sort of movie. Yeah, he was. I think... Actually, I think I might have read the book it's based on, not the actual movie, which is weird. Because I think, yeah, I, as a kid as a teenager just would read anything Stephen King Dinkus, Michael Crichton, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think Watchers was definitely in there. But no, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman were were the 80s. As soon as you said Corey Haim and I was just like, well, it's going to be uh, Lost Boys. And no, you went for Watchers, which is actually smarter. Yeah, he is kind of... We'll get into the Haim and kind of how it always makes me a little sad every time I'm watching a Corey Haim movie. But he was... Yeah, he was... I don't know how else to describe him. He was just the 80s. Yeah, he... It was the Corys, and you know the Simpsons did it well with the the Corey hotline that Lisa used to ring. And oh my God, yes, know, words that rhyme with Corey. And here's what's in the news today. And Corey just reads in the newspaper, and it costs you seven hundred dollars a minute. Hi, you've reached the Corey hotline. Four ninety five a minute. Here are some words that rhyme with Corey: glory, story, <laughs> allegory, Montessori. <laughs> turns, it, it, turns into a, a full blown addiction. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, they were the Corys were a phenomenon. They were, you know, they were good actors. Um, but they sort of, there was sort of a tier of like, you know, you have River Phoenix, who was the just like the, the or when you go by your sad, you know, child actor stories, like River Phoenix is probably one of the top ones. Corey Haim is up there as well because you know he, he died a bit later on, but it was still so sad. And the stuff that Feldman talks about now, whether it's true or not, or whether he's just lost his mind a little bit, it's it's horrifying though, and it's. You know, you feel so sorry for these poor kid actors who were obviously, you know, even if the stuff that Feldman's talking about isn't real, they were still abused and used because they were kids and, you know, it's that's they just wanted to make money off them. Exactly. I mean, I, even as much as I love movies and I've got some child performances that I love, if someone said, okay, we're just not having anyone under the age of 16 in the movie anymore, I'd be like, yeah, fine. I'm yeah. fully okay with that. Because I think the film set can be in a very adult place. And when you're placing children mm-hmm. in there who don't have the support networks who are just kind of thrown into the to the wolves, I think it can be really damaging. I mean, River Phoenix is that kind of, what could have been? I mean, he was kind of got on the trajectory to be one of our great actors. I mean, you watch him and he's just the only guy who can kind of capture Harrison Ford's kind of grumpiness at the age mm-hmm. of however old he is in The Last Crusade. 
or kind of in sneakers. He's just got that charisma that you cannot you cannot practice that you just have. Like his yeah. his brother is the biggest weirdo on screen because he doesn't have that charisma. He has something else. So it yeah. is is just um, the thing. And Corey Haim was, as we'll get into with um, thing was just so. It was kind of a, he's so innocent in um, Silver Bullet that it's kind of was like oh this is going to last for another six months and then you're into the Hollywood machine and it's going to go mm-hmm. very very bad. Um, and literally no, chew I, you up and spit you out. Exactly. But yeah, I need to. I do still need to watch the Watchers because I do remember read. I spe- have specific memories of reading that book. And the book is weird. Dinkus was a weird author. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're definitely yeah. You just you read it and you're like. I know he was low rent Stephen King, and that's kind of why I liked him. But I was just like, going, that even Stephen King would go, maybe not that story in that way. But no, Dinkus would always do that. <laughs> well, it always makes me think of, you know, in um, Monster Squad, where the kid has the Stephen King rules t shirt on like, pretty yes. much the whole movie. Yeah. I saw another one that was Dean Koontz is just okay. <laughs> <laughs> That is you're gonna get true. you're gonna get hate mail from Dean fans. You're gonna I get will. hate emails. It's I apologize. I kind of want that T-shirt now. Dinkus just took out. I don't know about but, being called a head either. That sounds really. That sounds like a real bad insult. Too. That that sounds that sounds uh, problematic. Actually, being called a head. Yeah. yeah, that's a. I mean, it's all right in Australia, but any in other parts of the world, it's, it's a bit more. It's not as oh, I know. I, I, when I first moved to Australia, there's I won't say the brand of the cheese because when you say the brand of the cheese outside of Australia, it is a very racist term. But there is a cheese brand mm-hmm. that's very famous in Australia. And when I first saw it, I had to stop in the supermarket and go, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and just mainstream cheese brand. So, not the, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you can look it up and you'll go, that's, the, okay. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's how many, you know, town. <laughs> we still had lollies called Redskins up until about 18 months ago. So, you know, <laughs> we can't really complain about anything else. We, we're not, we're not better than anybody else in the world. That's for sure. No, I forgot about Redskins. Oh my god, they were really tasty, mm-hmm. but not the name. No. <laughs> yeah, you could tell they were going out of fashion, where they'd always just appear in like a thing of something else. It would just you'd just never see them on their own. And now, yeah, yeah, that's when you if you turn up to someone's house in for Halloween and they've got Redskins in the bowl, don't have them. They're probably five years old. I wouldn't eat them. No, yeah, they're, they're going to be just like concrete globs because there's the someone just found yeah. there the back of the thing and went, oh crap, it's Halloween. There's going to be trick or treaters because it always catches Australians by surprise. <laughs> oh, I guarantee you, they're, they're a dentist. If, if anyone's serving five-year-old Redskins, they're a dentist because they want to wreck your teeth. There'll be a business yes. card attached to it with, the, with their dental practice on it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like freaking minties. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> just two of them, just a tooth would come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, okay. Way to meet the tooth fairy when you're a kid. Yeah, yeah. Just like, if you had a wiggly tooth, someone would honestly just give you a minty and you'd just chew on that, yeah. hoping that it would just, like, oh. dislodge. Yeah. Um, just yeah australian lollies and old candy sweets i wear well wear back in the and we, they're only just starting to go away which i find absolutely mm-hmm. fascinating yeah but no watches is absolutely perfect and what am i going to do for my trailer okay you know what i am actually going to go for another uh, stephen king um but i want to go for a director who has made a career out of making just okay stephen king adaptions but is kind of beloved for it uh that is of course Sleepwalkers from 1992, directed by Mick Garris. Charles Brady is new in town. You can actually talk to him? Yeah, he's nice. Real nice. The girls all like him. The teachers 
all respect him. Your teachers in Ohio must have been sorry to lose such a creative young man. The parents all trust him. He's utterly charming. But nobody really knows him. Like his mother. You cannot be in love with this girl. She looks. You don't know me, Tanya. But I want to. Behind their smile is a secret. Hi. Come in, Doc. I have something for you. I don't know who you are, but I know you're not who you say you are. Behind the secret is a hunger. Does it have to be her? <laughs> and behind it all is the imagination of Stephen King. A kind of Waycat incestuous magic witch oh. movie that is kind of unique to see to be believed. Oh, yeah. Um, this movie is batshit crazy. I yeah. love it, but it makes no sense. No. It, um, I remember seeing that late night tv when i was you know when i used to tape anything anytime there was a horror movie on i'd tape it off tv and didn't read what the what the synopsis was was you know had it playing oh written by stephen king or based on the book by yeah that awesome and then i started watching it and i went oh what what is this this is this is this is strange <laughs> it's absolutely strange it is i just want to get some of the actors because i uh love i do love this movie because i sort of had heard about it tracked it down kind of watched it i mean it goes from adorable to kind of uh wait they're mother and son what it's yeah, yeah. It is, it's it's a it, bit gross it's very gross it meant to be gross but it is yeah it's because it's Alex uh krieg who always plays a badass kind of witchy lady and she's definitely in this yep. Matthew Apkin, who is completely adorable in it, and then suddenly is almost raped by a child's um, uh, Brian Klaus because he is in fact a werecat and needs human energy. I don't actually know what it is, but they don't like cats either, which is weird. This movie, I, it's kind of one of those movies where I'm like, oh, Stephen King was high on cocaine when he wrote this. He would have had to have been. It's one of his little short stories that doesn't really get mentioned a lot, a lot and then mm -hmm. they make a movie and everyone's just like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Stephen King is my favourite author of all time. Yeah. But even I can't uh, defend this or the, uh, like, it, it is my favourite book of all time, but even I can't defend the the ending bit of the book with the, they always used to say, you know, you can't ever adapt this film, this book because of the, uh, the stuff at the end with the kids. Yes. And even I read that part and I go, yeah, you, this is, yeah, mate, you... I'm glad you got clean. <laughs> yeah, I've seen people trying to defend that scene. I'm like, no, there is no defending that scene. There mm -hmm. is absolutely no defending that scene at all. That is, um, hmm, that is very, very wrong and bad. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it is one of my favorite books as well. And I'm just like, can't defend that scene. That is just going to skip a couple of pages here. Yeah, but it goes on for eight. You know, Sim King always has that problem with something you don't. It goes, and I'm like, okay, we're still. Going, <laughs> for God's sake, okay, I'm glad you're clean now. I'm glad you actually remember. <laughs> writing your novels because sometimes they were brilliant sometimes they were like pet cemetery which is the darkest thing he's probably ever written mm -hmm. and i don't think he mm -hmm. remembers completely writing that or was, was no. it Hujo? one of the two and then he does things like that and i'm just like well it's like any in addictions sometimes it works and then most of the time you're going to get pets in you're going to get um <laughs> sleepwalkers <Yeah. laughs> it's it's one of those you know you've got to teach kids about not to take drugs look at this Hey, read yeah. this book this is amazing read this book not so much no not so much you're never <laughs> going to get the balance the balance right at all so yeah so that is going to be my trailer i do love the coons and king that reminds me it wasn't the family uh which is actually very wrong because it does actually deal with 
Stephen King getting hit by a car, which he was, mm-hmm. um, which is very, very tragic. And and but then Peter Griffin actually realizes it's Dan, Dan Coots and then runs over him three more times, which I yeah. think actually find. <laughs> I still love that Stephen King bought the truck that hit him and then took it apart with a sledgehammer. I think that's brilliant. That is so cathartic. That would just be. <laughs> That is what you do if you have something that tragic. You buy the car and you take it apart with a mallet. That is that is yeah. absolutely perfect. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to get into... Actually, I've never read um, The Cycle of the Werewolf, which is what Silver Bullet is based on. It began in May. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it happened again. And again. What was that? It's over there. Who pointed that at me? Nobody knew who or what was responsible. Come on. They only knew it had to be stopped. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense. Stephen King's Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet, the last glimmering hope. It is kind of seems, it's an illustrated... It's kind of one of those gifty things he kind of did when he was kind of trying doing different things. And of course, this comes mm. like every so every few years, there's an explosion of Stephen King adaptions. And once they do the big ones, like a stand or it's or um, actually, this was before Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery would be a tough one to do, even though we're now getting a prequel to the other movie that just came out. So we're all fine with with kids being hit by cars now or trucks. Um, mm-hmm. But this was kind of one of the ones where they're kind of like, okay, we've done all the big ones now, or some of the big ones. Now we're going to go do this one. This was my first watch. Um, where did you first watch Silver Bullet? Uh, hmm. I saw this. Uh, it's again one of those ones that I saw as a kid, um, taped off. It would have been Channel 10 because for some reason, Channel 10 midweek and either Saturday, Friday or Saturday night used to show a lot of horror movies. Oh, very And they cool. used to show. This and there was a TV show, like an anthology creep show sort of show called Monsters, which I've gone back and watched a bit now and is really bad. I have seen people <laughs> say that on YouTube. I was like, oh, because someone told me about it, how they, much they loved it as a kid. And I went back and watched it and went, oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's, it's yeah, it's not great. Um, but this was one of those ones that I taped that, again, didn't know what was it what it was about. Um And once I got, like, I, I do really like it. I think it's, a, I think it's an interesting the way it's played out that it's not just like other, you know, um, werewolf movies where it's played out in the first, it's in the space of a week or the space of the time the moon is full. This is, it plays out over a, a long length of time, which I thought was actually a brilliant way to do it. You know, Almost the whole, cycle of the werewolf. Yeah. Movie, yeah. Yeah. It goes through the seasons and everything like that. And it makes it, you know, you, you, you get a bit more of a story. You don't, it's not, it doesn't feel rushed. It feels like such a, you know, what a small town would go through in this sort of panic and with this sort of, you know, horror, uh, serial killer maybe sort of thing that it's it, it plays out really brilliantly, I think. I think it really does as well. It really surprised me that it is this amazing um, 
kids in peril, kids adventure movie, which Stephen King is brilliant at at doing. I think he mm-hmm. almost invented that style in the early eighties when they started adapting his books because it was always very much these kids kind of taking on the world. You know, Stand by Me, Silver Bullet, all these kind of mm. all these sort of kind of movies of um, yeah, these kids are actually in danger. This is kind of sort of perfect. You've got these two kids who kind of cotton on to the fact that there's a werewolf in their town and because their kids, no one believes them. So it's up to them to try and convince their very um, charming but drunk, very drunk uncle played by Gary Busey. I mean, I think it helps that there's some really amazing performances, especially Gary Busey, um, Terry mm. O'Quinn and Everett McGill, who I'm starting to think might be our greatest actor. Whenever I watch them, is something. Um, <laughs> but it's... It really sort of elevates what this um, movie is, and it's very sweet, and it sort of catches, again, something Stephen King does a lot, still does, these kind of small towns that seem what you want from a small town, but they are really a malignant, something malignant in them, and it's usually something very old, something that they don't know how to fight or, un- or are mm. unwilling to fight, except for the kids who kind of still have the wherewithal to go, no, there's a killer clown in the drains, and he's eating us. Can we please deal with this? Thank you. Yeah, and that's kind of what I liked about it. It's not not quite like the blob where we get into where it's just literally turning all those tropes on their head, but it mm-hmm. is very much still dealing in that idyllic. Like I think um, the sister's character who was uh, who kind of realized halfway through Megan Fellows was um, uh, Anna Green Gables, but it oh. is which is sort of her adult voiceover is going. This was a small town at a time when everyone cared about each other. I don't think this ever happened in history of a small town, mm-hmm. but I think. It is that perception of, and then what happens when you have that small town and then you add, spoilers, Everett McGill as a werewolf priest going around eating people. It's great. And the, um, like we, you know, we get into it, but the scene where they're in the church and everyone's turning into werewolves, I absolutely love it because it's practical. It just, it, it, it makes my heart sing. It's just so wonderful. I love practical effects. And I think it's because of the era, you know, I grew up in, where everything was practical. We didn't have CGI. And so, you know, the stuff just looks, I mean, there is some bad practical in a lot of movies, but just, uh, it just looks so much better. It looks so real a lot of the time. Even even the really crappy stuff still looks fun as well, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you're right. Stephen King excels at the small town. That's a bit more, not isolated, but it's just, you know, it might be a town of 500 people that all this is happening to. And it makes it so much you get to know the characters, you get the feel for the characters, you um, you, you get to like a lot of the characters and it just makes it that much more horrible when something bad happens or something good happens. It makes it much that much better. It really, really does. I mean, you get to know every single character and you get to know the kind of the family unit. Like I love the fact when you first meet Corey Haim and his sister Megan Fellow and he's getting a friend to pull a prank on her. She's, of course, really, really upset. And just his face when he realizes that she's upset is so sweet. Like it's, it's just this genuine. Oh, I made her upset. Like he's so small yeah. and so sweet, and which makes it, which I think makes this movie better. There's still that kind of innocence. His sister's kind of a little bit older, so she has a little bit more cynicism. But he's in the pure. I'm a kid. I have a motorcycle for a for a wheelchair. Let's go. I'm going to take on, on on the werewolf. There's something very endearing to that. Yeah, definitely, and it, you know, have the, the the uncle who, you know, he's he's a bit more of a, he's not the the serious uncle who might you know teach you how to 
fish or whatever, or take you out and do stuff like that with with someone like Corey Hayman. It's like, no, nah, let's just get you a rocket powered wheelchair. Let's do that, and you can zoom around the town, float, you know, <laughs> going 40, 40 k's an hour down the street, you know, in a wheelchair because you know you're already in a wheelchair. What, what what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> That's what he says. I was surprised when he sort of said, um, "Oh no, he's dead meat." I was like, "Well, he's in a wheelchair anyway." Um, yeah. it's <laughs> Because that's the kind of thing Gary Busey would have probably said in that role. No, he's kind of delightful in that way. I mean, he's kind of a drunk. He's not very reliable, but he does care about his niece and nephew. And yeah. they're the he's the one that they feel comfortable going to when they have a problem. It's not their parents. It's not anyone else who has more authority. It's not even um, Terry O'Quinn. Um, it, is, it is their uncle. Though I will say, how great is a, a Stephen King sheriff? Oh, yeah. I yeah. think that's a – you become a certain age as an actor, and I think that's where you want to age yourself into is a, you know, a, 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 what's his name? Um, oh, the one who's in Needful Things. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Oh, Ed Harris. Yeah. Ed Harris. Thank you. Yeah, Ed Harris. Um, you want to be that or you want to be like a – or even um, it's something like The Mist as well. You want to be – yeah. but the, the, the Stephen King share, he writes them so well, and there's always something – it's like he goes, all right, well, I have a lot of friends who are – aging into mid 40s early 50s actors i'm just going to write all these roles for them yeah i mean even michael brooker in uh sleepwalkers who's playing the good sheriff like i think it's the Mm -hmm. same character as um the one in needful things that poor sheriff has a lot of work to do but it is this this dependable great you can go to them with anything they are this sort of voice of reason and so every time terry o'quinn who can be such a well he is stepdaddy stepfather he is um he can be a lot of dodgy guys and then he's playing the most stable man in the room and it's um yeah so whenever thought Terry Quinn I'm like oh man I love a freaking Stephen King sheriff they're amazing he's very borderline where Terry Quinn either plays the very serious straight-laced sheriff or he's the absolutely unhinged person like in The Stepfather which if people haven't seen it, The Stepfather is a phenomenal movie and it he is an absolute like the people around him aren't the greatest actors but he, he just elevates that film just by himself it's brilliant he really does. I mean, you kind of almost want to see him get away with it because you just kind of want to see what he does next in The Stepfather. He's, he's so good. Yeah, and he's so good in this. Like, he's just, again, Terry Quinn, one of our great actors, um, very much like Everett and Gill. They can just kind of slip into any role they want. And going back to the, um, mm-hmm. when the church, whatever, is turning into werewolves, is probably one of my favorite scenes in Silver Bullet as well, one it's so cool. But you can kind of see, yeah. I mean, I don't think the script ever calls for Everett McGill to really have any guilt about what he is. I mean, once he's hurt, he's like, all right, I'm going to get this Corey Hayne bucket. Like, this kid yeah. took out my eye. I, I'm I'm going to I'm gonna go for it. But you can kind of see the guilt on his face when he's presiding over a funeral of people who have been killed by him. And you can kind of see the guilt and him working through this guilt on his face that he's a man of God. Yeti is a monster, yet all this kind of thing, everyone just turns into it. It's such a cool scene and it's all practical. It's all, the way we're playing the organ is amazing. It's um, everyone slowly turning. Yeah, it's it's so good. It's, it's like we said about werewolves earlier, like you can use them for different things. And being a man, you know, of, you know, a man of God who also has no control over himself when he turns into the werewolf, it, it's just a, you know, you can, yeah, you're right. You can see the guilt, but it also makes it so much harder for him to deal with where it's, you know, I'm turning into this horrible monster. I have no control over this, but then I have to preside over the people I've killed without anyone knowing that I'm doing this. And then, you know, there's all about the Catholic guilt, but this is even more like, this isn't just Catholic. This is just, you know, murder guilt. Almost. Yes. 
yeah, this this body here, I did that. Like I'm yeah. the one the reason why this guy has no head. Like it's yeah. um you know, and they go for it. I mean, they go for like the I guess the hobo at the beginning, but then they do a um a pregnant woman they do a pregnant woman thing. I mean these I mean what I love about the blob is that the blob will call anything, but sometimes the best kills are the people that you hate. And this kind of starts doing that a little, but then the guy who is constantly slamming Terry O'Quinn for not doing his job as well as he wants doesn't die. And I'm like, no, no, no. You've just set up everyone else and he's going to get slaughtered and he doesn't. And I'm a little bit annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, they're the ones that are supposed to die. They're supposed to die horribly. Like You're supposed to see, you know, it's it's the, the villain who gets thrown off a building at the end of a movie. You want to see them die in a really horrible but interesting practical effect way in something like this you want to see you ripped apart and bits pieces flying everywhere and yeah unfortunately they, uh, they let us down on it yeah they do he's a great it's a great performance because i love the bit when um i think the sister's called jane is walking around collecting cans to see if she can see the person who has only one eye that her brother has apparently told her about and which is walking and she's in the barber shop and she's the one guy i love the thing which is everyone's just looking directly at the camera two eyes two eyes two eyes and then yep. she directly walks and, and pulls off the blanket and it's him, but he has both eyes just kind of glaring at her. And there's, I mean, yeah, this movie does, is not particularly, when, when you're talking about sort of movies, uh, the werewolf movies, say like Joe Dante's The Howling, Landis's American Werewolf in London, even the blob, they have a very specific point of view because they are, though I think I credit Darabont with more with the blob than Jack Russell for some weird reason, but there's a point of view, but you just get these little moments like the werewolf scene in the church or the, when she's going around trying to see the one, find the one-eyed man. I think those parts are really effective, even if you do get clunky bits where that, I did write his name down, um, he loses his son horrifically and he walks into mm -hmm. the, the bar and goes, has anyone seen my son? I'm like, oh, you did not get any of the easiest lines, line readings. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, um, you know, the, this is the best take we had. We did yeah. 75 goes and this was the best one. <laughs> it's just, and I don't know why I giggled so much, but Susie walks into having an argument and every time he, and he's meant to be this man who is just full of grief and full of sadness and full of everything. And I'm just like giggling at every single line. Right? I'm like, <laughs> stop it, stop it. It's not his fault completely. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think when I was a kid too, like I hadn't seen Lethal Weapon or anything like that. So this was my first Gary Busey as oh, well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, he's, and I think he's, he's, he's gone a bit off the rails like, you know, lately, but I think that's also because of the uh, big motor, <laughs> motorcycle yeah. accident he had where it, you know, it destroyed his brain almost. And he's been a bit of a meme lately on things like TikTok with his, uh, someone pretended to be him in an interview. And it was, it's become like a, uh, like people are using it as a soundbite where he talks about sausages or something. And it's, it, I feel a bit bad for him because he's got a, he's actually on TikTok and I follow him on TikTok and he comes up and pops up and says stuff every now and then. Yeah. And he's like, he's not, he, he's, he seems to be okay, but he doesn't, he seems like that, that um, motorcycle accident, he's probably got a bit of traumatic brain injury problems. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you feel really bad for the guy. Um, but you see him in something like this. And yeah, you're right. We were talking about before. He's, he plays this great alcoholic uncle who, you know, absolutely. You know, whether the family, the, the parents don't really like him and they think he's a bit of a loser, but the, he loves his niece and nephew. And that's, that's that biggest, that's mostly the heart of the movie is the, the relationship the three of them have. It really is. I love when they're sitting on the park bench and they literally said, Look, uh, the reverend's a werewolf. 
or the priest's a werewolf. And he's like, he doesn't believe them, but yet he's not. He's telling him he doesn't believe them. He's actually telling him he doesn't believe them straight up. But, but by the end of it, he is still willing to go to the sheriff to go, hey, I think you need to check out this guy. Like, mm. my kids think he's a, my niece and if you think he's a werewolf, I don't think he is, but I think you might need to check him out. They've got suspicions about him. So he's, mm. he's willing to stand up for the kids and the fact that he is building his uh, nephew who is paralyzed and is in a wheelchair these kind of motorized um things is so sweet because it's sort of saying you may be in a wheelchair but you can go 40 miles an hour down the road there's nothing stopping you um and i mean the thing Corey haynes does is amazing because you can kind of see him move his legs occasionally which is not his fault (laughs) he's like 12 um (laughs) it's just like that's that that would take some leg muscle um to do that but it's still he plays it very odd because when I was sort of saying when you're talking about watches, is that I think this is one of the few, because it's one of his first movies, and he's still innocent. Hollywood or the how uh, the system fortunately he got into hasn't broken him or starting to break him yet. He still thinks this is yeah. fun. I mean, he doesn't kind of know what's ahead of him and what's going to be put in front of him with the drugs and abuse and all this kind of thing. And he's still got these reaction shots, which I don't think he has again. Like as much as I really do like The Lost Boys, Corey Ham is acting like a 25-year-old. Like, he sees some shit. And same with Corey Feldman, which works mm. for the Frog Brothers. But it's he doesn't have that pure innocence of, I made my sister sad. I need to stop this werewolf. It doesn't... Yeah, which is why this movie made me a little sad, because I'm like, oh, you grew up way too fast. That yeah. should not have happened. Yeah. Like, this is you yeah. as a kid, and then by six months later, you're not a kid. Like, that's not right. Yeah. Hindsight is a can be a horrible thing sometimes, yeah. where you just you realize that you see the two of them who are both Feldman as well, not in this, but Feldman is a very talented actor as well as a kid. And, you know, he's, he's Friday the 13th part four and the lost boys and all sorts of things like that. Goonies and and stand by me. Yeah. Yeah. And you just look at it and you go, and like river Phoenix in stand by me as well. And you just look at these kids and you go, you're, you are just on a path. You've already set on the path. As soon as you sign that first contract to make a movie, you guys have been set on a path to what is going to be, a very horrible future and it's just so sad and it you know we lose these talented kids so young and they could have like i still think that river phoenix would have been you know i think it's put it in a horrible way like i can't think of another way to put it but leonardo dicaprio benefited from river phoenix dying it's kind of dead which sucks like he they needed that kind of um actor to fill the gap when River died and Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio walked into it and not say I don't think Leo's not a good actor. I, I mean I'm so excited to see um Pills of the Flower Moon because he looks mm-hmm. phenomenal in in that. He's just like he's doing this course I mean he's worked with Scorsese, he's done all this amazing stuff. But yeah, I think because Hollywood loves a type, I think when River Phoenix sadly passed away, they looked to Leonardo DiCaprio and went you're the next pretty blonde boy. Yeah. Okay, let's go. So yeah, and I think yeah. too that the two the uh, Feldman and Haim the the problem was too as they got older, I think with their parents, I'm assuming their parents were in charge of them, but still that they just they pushed them, so they did a lot of crap as well, a yeah. lot of very B, you know. Whereas they were very good actors, so they could have been pushed into the roles of like Feldman did early, but then he even he just dropped right off, and they could have been in the roles that you know like the the, the um like what's it who's eating Gilbert, what's eating Gilbert grape and things like that that Leonardo DiCaprio did and these roles could have been amazing for them and you know very different takes and it's it just didn't happen because their parents were so 
you know, I think it's, was it Macaulay Culkin who emancipated from his parents yes. and you yeah. know, got all his money from that? Like even he, I, I, there was a point where I thought that he was probably going to be one of the next ones to go, but he seems to have been, he's actually living okay. Um, but yeah, he, he got his me. money and moved to Paris and started becoming a musician and just a painter. Like he, he, yeah. like I watched a couple of interviews with uh, his brother, not Ronan, he played Ronan on Succession. Uh, Rory, uh, Karen, thank you. There's yep. so many, there's so many, there's so many, there's so many <laughs> Karen, and he sort of said, Yeah, I was pushed into acting, it was just sort of normal, but I had to step back. And then I decided, No, I actually want to do this, so I'm going to do it my way. Well, then he started working Tracy Letts uh, quite a bit mm. and a few other um, playwrights and did theater, and then he kind of rose up and then was in succession. And his interviews are fascinating. Like, he obviously doesn't want to talk about his childhood because I think it was probably mm-hmm. very traumatic. Yeah, for sure. But he does dance around it a little bit and he does sort of acknowledge, well, I was just put in movies when I was six. I didn't necessarily have that choice. I was in yeah. Home Alone. Um, I think he plays one of the cousins. And I've also watched this fascinating interview with um, Will Wheaton, who was never my favorite actor, but when you talk about his, his parents did the same thing because he started making more money. Um, and I think he emancipated from his parents when quite young mm-hmm. um, when he was working on Star Trek and realized, oh, I'm getting Star Trek money. Um, <laughs> he's um, He talked about being pushed into doing B-movie crap um, because they were offering more money at the time, not sort of thinking long-term in their career. And I think that's the mm. problem when your child is the breadwinner for your family. It's kind yeah. of, it's not, you don't get to always make the choices about what you're going to do. It's more about the family. And I think that's kind of one of the, the issues and yeah i think that's something you have to recognize when you get these massive child stars um and some child stars kind of navigate it i mean jodie foster was working when she was three and Mm -hmm. it seems like a well-adjusted person like it mostly i think from what she doesn't do a lot of interviews good for her but it's kind of yeah yeah well the other one that i like seeing now is um henry thomas yes who is you know he was at one point, the biggest child star in the world because he was in ET, you know, the highest grossing movie of all time at that at that point. Yeah. And now seeing him working with uh, Mike Flanagan on everything, it's just great to see him. Even if he does give him some, you know, gr- gross roles every now and then, like uh, Gerald's Game. It's yes. But it's um, <laughs> it's it's just good to see him back out there doing. And he's you know he's been great in that Mike Flanagan stuff, and it's getting him more roles. And it's it's good to see these child actors actually getting a run as adults as well. Yeah, I love him in uh, Doctor Sleep. And actually, first time I watched Doctor Sleep, I didn't realize that um, he was because I was looking for him. Where is he? Where's Henry Thomas? Mm-hmm. I didn't actually realize he was doing the Jack Nicholson role in. Um, he was playing Jack in in uh, Doctor Sleep. And then when you go back and watch it, mm-hmm. you're like, he's not doing an imitation. He's okay. He's kind of doing an imitation of him, but not really. It's like it's not the exaggerated Christian Slater version. Exactly. And same with uh, what's your name who plays Shelley Duvall, um, who I never read. She's also working um, with Flanagan a lot. And I can never. God, and I love her too. I can't remember her name. I watch a movie and I'm like, oh. wait, she was in that. She was in that. Alex Esso. Thank you. I'm like, <laughs> I never recognize Alex Esso oh, when she's in something. That's her. Yeah, yeah, that's she's, her. Yeah, she's not doing a. She's brilliant. A, yeah, she's brilliant and not doing a complete imitation of Shelley Duvall in, in The Shining, which would be, feels like it would be the easiest way to go because they're both very distinctive actors. Yeah. But you know, I love the yep. fact that Henry Tom- watch Henry Thomas in ET, and you'll go like, okay, no, I know he's going to go, he's going to be all right. He's going to continue working. He's going to do a lot of TV, and then he's going to meet Mike Flanagan and become his boy. So I'm, yeah. I'm very yeah. happy. I I feel a little bit more okay when I'm watching Corey. Oh no, I just need to get you in a, a hug. And so just like, 
yeah. and just like maybe protect you a little bit more. But in saying that, I think this is a really wonderful little performance he's giving. I think, yeah, yeah, I think he's adorable in this. Like when because he's so Canadian, in it. <laughs> but it's it's almost a um, you know, the term gateway horror as well. Like I think yes. you you've got stuff like Monster Squad and things like that, and then once kids sort of go, which we'll talk about with the Blob because I um I showed my daughter it for the first time, but it um it moves into that level whereas. There's no sex. There's no nudity. There's no, like the violence is a little bit, but it's not completely over the top. So it's one of those ones that, you know, if you were a kid back in the nineties when I was, and you were watching, you know, Foxtel, you'd put a movie in. Oh, okay. There's a werewolf movie on. You put it on. You'd, you wouldn't be overly scared by it, but it's still enough to give you the, Ooh, ooh I, do I like horror? Like, you know, the, the kids who I, and at that point I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. Let's watch it, whatever we can. Whereas some kids, you know, sometimes it scares them off a little bit. So it's probably a very good gateway horror kid for someone who wants to up it a little bit from the, you know, the, the monster squads and things like that. No, because I think monster squad is a really great, I wish I had, because I was, I, some reason never came into the pathway of monster squad. I did not hear about it until I was even hear about it until I was an adult. And then I, um, cause I was always the Goonies. That was, I still love the Goonies, even though I watch it now. I'm like, yeah. And even speaking of child actors, kind of the greatest comeback story is Kiwa Kwan um, winning an Oscar. Yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of was, yeah, I was watching that movie. I'm like, wait, is that, who is that? Why do I know? Fuck that short round. Like it was kind of that. <laughs> holy fuck. <laughs> moment. Yeah. That was kind of my kind of thing. And my, I think I did gateway horror all wrong because I had a much older brother and sister who and so what i was watching wasn't necessarily being monitored so where i sort of saw things way too young and that scared me off a bit but then i kept coming yeah, fair. and kind of watching it um so it was kind of like straight from say something scary happening in a, like a jim henson thing then to write straight horror so i kind of missed that i missed my monster squad is what i'm saying i really should have <laughs> <watched> monster squad <laughs> yes you should amazing what? a movie it's so much fun. I love that movie. But it, like I was the, you know, like I was saying before, I used to tape them off TV. So especially then, it, a lot of it was edited anyway. Like a lot of the big gore. Like I remember watching, um, oh, was it A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. And there's the scene where he kills one of the kids by ripping his veins out and using him like a marionette puppet. Yes, yes. And 90% of that scene is cut out on the TV version back then, even though oh. it was played at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So I remember going, oh, okay, that wasn't that scary. He just fell off. A, he just fell off the building. And then when you watch the uncut, proper, you know, DVD version a bit later on, or the you know the VHS version, you go, oh, that's a little bit more gory than I expected. Yeah, because uh, the Dream Warriors actually feels like a really great gateway horror, except for like a few things like the pulling out the tendons. That's pure saw. Sorry, mm. I've been watching a lot of saw movies, so Shawnee Smith's going to come up <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> it's um yeah that is that is really kind of thing so i can kind of see and australia did have a habit of this like same with new zealand like mm. if you're watching something like, i don't remember that that when I was yeah. 10, you're like oh wait <laughs> they edited it for tv okay cool <laughs> yeah. they're like nope absolutely not but yeah i think that is also a really great um gateway horror in terms of kids fighting the monster and winning same with silver bullet mm-hmm. same with monster squad it's um yeah i think it's the best gateway horror for me is when the kids are kind of battling the monsters and then when fortune mine one was it yeah. from the the tv miniseries which is legitimately a terrifying 
<laughs> terrifying thing. <laughs> so I'm watching this going, yeah, I don't trust drains. Like I don't, I don't trust them. I don't like nope. them. Pennywise is just yep. gonna come. No, no, sorry, that I don't like no. drains. I didn't. Yeah. So, but I found it absolutely fascinating. So yeah, I kind of did that gateway wrong. I kind of went a little bit step too high and then got freaked out. But I think that if you wanted to get show like a 10 or 12 year old, yeah, watch Silver Bullet. If you don't think they, if mm. they're not sure about horror, then, or even a little bit younger, and then they can go in there because um, Everett yeah. Bigel is clearly the bad guy. You clearly like, are meant to like, you kind of know who you're meant to like and meant to hate very clearly in this movie. There's no blurred lines. Yeah, for sure. And I think, look, we, uh, this is a disclaimer. If your child gets scared, that's not our fault. No. You're the parent. Don't blame us. <laughs> no. no. But it, it happens. It you know, it it's and it's sort of like my like I was saying with my daughter, um, she's sort of she's on the cusp of kind of liking horror, like she's interested, but she gets very scared very easily. So I'm very careful in what I show her. And I think if she wanted to watch something with werewolves, I think this would be I'd probably pick this over, you know, the howling is not appropriate at all. And American no. Werewolf in London's probably pushing it a little bit um so this probably wouldn't be too bad like it's not overly scary but there's some pretty intense scenes but it's it's not as violent and as gory as some of the other werewolf movies out there yes most of the except for the first one with the poor guy by the train tracks where you actually see the head um Mm. most of the kills aren't that gory i mean you just have the poor woman on the bed um wait that kid how does the kid die again forget have you seen my son um yeah <laughs> the um the, when there is <laughs> that poor actor I should he's, he's doing a job i shouldn't make fun of him but that line oh my god um the, the when i actually would love the one in the woods when they're actually going and trying to hunt this thing because they think mm-hmm. it might be an actual wolf and then he just takes out three of them at once i think it's actually a really good yeah. scene everyone just goes whoa run away <laughs> That's it. Yeah, we're out. Sorry. Yeah, we're out. You just see a head coming out in the mist and going down again. It's like, yeah, yeah, that is that is cool. Um, the, cool. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah the, I, I will say, when I heard about this movie, I always heard that the werewolf doesn't look that good. I don't think he looked that bad. What do you think about it? For some reason, Silver Bullet always gets, oh, it's not the good werewolf. It's not the good werewolf. Yeah, I think, like, it's, the problem is that it came out around the time of, American Werewolf in London and The Howling, which have some of the best werewolf effects that you've ever seen in a movie. So it's, you know, it's a, unfortunately it's a high bar that it gets set. Like, I think it looks fine. I think yeah. it, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a werewolf. It's not like it looks, well, I always, I love American Werewolf in London, but my problem was always that it's down on all fours. Ah, uh, you don't, you don't like an awful werewolf. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, and I don't get me wrong. I think American Werewolf in London is the best werewolf movie ever made. I think it's brilliant. Um, but I like the wolves in the howling more because uh, they're big, you know, big humanoid, you know, nine foot tall beasts that look horrible and scary and stuff. Like I think I always found them a bit scary. I always, the problem was as a kid, you see the never ending story. And then when you watch American werewolf in London, it's just a grimoire. I still think American Wealth London is a better movie, but I like the wolves in the howling better. But I think that the wolf in Silver Bullet is great. I think it looks, it looks it, it's again, it's practical. So I'm always going to like it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it is more of a guy. You can tell it's a guy in a suit, which I don't mind because I hmm. love guys in suits. Like I love Godzilla. Yeah. You give me a man in a suit wandering around and I'm, I'm going to be happy. I will say, I think yep. I'm a little bit more on a werewolf on all fours only because I kind of like, uh, in the company of wolves, wolves or wolfin, or that kind of met where they're kind of wolves, but they're kind of not. There's something else yeah. going on. 
I, but I think it's more of a personal, when it comes down to personal taste. Like, I think, hmm. again, you can do so much with a werewolf that if you like your kind of werewolf a little bit more standing up, and I don't, like, if Howling is freaking amazing, what that movie does hmm. is showing kind of a self-help group that's actually a monstrous cult of werewolves. I'm like, yeah, that actually is pretty true. <laughs> <laughs> um never trust a self-help group guys just just say no no. they're never about (laughs) self-improvement it's um (laughs) yeah so i think again you can kind of do but i I find it interesting where people sort of stand on the do you like all fours or do you like them standing so yeah i think that's that's a fascinating Mm. distinction in terms of how people see a werewolf to begin with but yeah i i don't mind it i love the effect after um the second eye is shot out of Everett miguel and he slowly turns back I think that those effects are pretty. I actually really liked like those ones. Yeah, yeah. The um, I think you're um, when you're doing a werewolf, the 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 transformation to the wolf has to look as painful as possible because yes. it's. And you'll see it in these movies where they're changing, and you hear the bones popping and the skin breaking and stuff. And well, of course, it's, it has to be like that because they're turning into a completely different creature. Yeah. Um, but I always liked that when you know at the end of the movies when they've killed the wolf and everything, and they just sort of slowly turn back into this human, and it's. It always surprises me that when I was a kid, I was like, why did they turn back? I, I always wondered why they turned back into the human. Like, why wouldn't they stay in their wolf form? Because they've been killed as a wolf. What, the body was dead now. Why would it change back? So it's always a bit of a strange one for me. Actually, yeah. I just always took that as like, well, you turn back into a human. But no, you're right. Where would they? Because they're a wolf. They're, they're a completely different mm. creature. And the whole, I mean, the fact that it looks painful now is because of American Werewolf in London. Because I think they did yeah. it first. It's like, oh, your bones are breaking, you are literally turning into a different creature. So yeah, it doesn't actually make that much more sense if they've been killed as a wolf to go back into but I guess it's because werewolves are kind of magic in some respects as well. Like it's yeah. always a bit of kind of magic going on with with a werewolf um more than any other. It's like it, it's like the curse. Like going back to Monster Squad again. I love when I can't mm. remember who's playing the werewolf in that one. But he's like constantly calling the police and going, You need to arrest me, you need to arrest me. <laughs> I still love at the end of that when the kid shoots him and he looks at the kid and just goes, thank you. Like that's, <laughs> that always breaks my heart. It, it always kills me every time that poor guy who's just, it's just a curse for him. And it's, you know, it's the same sort of thing in, um, I think it's the howling as well. When one of the characters gets shot and he goes, oh, thank God. It dies. Yeah, it dies. No, it's like in, if, um, I totally recommend uh, House of Frankenstein, which is actually more of a uh, werewolf movie, but because Lon Chaney mm-hmm. Jr. Is, is the lead, but he is constantly just asking people to kill him. And he goes, I just want to yeah. die. And then it turns into like a um, woman flock to him for some reason. Every single time he says, I, I just want to die. I don't want to live anymore. And they're like, oh, I can fix him. Yeah. <laughs> um, it becomes almost like a pickup line. I'm just like, that is, I, I think it's gig, but it sort of shows to the fact that this is a curse. And um people who are they are not necessarily enjoying the process of being a monster Mm -hmm. which i think is also a very interesting thing about the werewolf myth is that it's more of the put upon person and that goes back to the wolfman that's exactly where it it starts from but you can kind of tell that Ephraim mcgill's kind of placing himself near Corey hang because he wants revenge which i think is also a very fascinating thing about the werewolf thing is how you can kind of you may not be able to control it but you may be able to go to a certain place to get a certain victim once you're once you're a and wolf yeah yeah you, you took my eye so like even though i don't like being a wolf and i'm i'm kind of scared of i'm sad about killing people you took my eye like it's revenge now yeah. sorry i do like the turn in that movie it's like oh no he's out for revenge now I'm like oh this is fascinating like but you, you pick on the the most helpless person in the, yes. in the town. 
like i don't care it's an eye for an eye i'm like no he's like he's 10 (laughs) yeah he's 10 and also in a wheelchair like don't be mean come on man the kid's already you know (laughs) the kid was kid had some dodgy homemade fireworks given to him by his uncle Speaking of which, Simpsons, my favorite thing is when he's going there at the um, sea. They got a house by the sea, and Homer's walking in and going, Do you have pornography? And also, yes. some illegal fireworks come this way. <laughs> I'm looking for pornography. I don't know. I love that line oh, so much. So good. But yeah, so it's, though, I do like how it, even though the movie doesn't actually change weather, I do like how they track the seasons like Fourth of July, fireworks, it's going mm. up to Halloween. You can kind of see jack o' lanterns everywhere. Oh, it's back to summer again. Like, it does it kind of does a nice way of tracking the season, even though they obviously filmed it over a spring and it's all just the same weather, which yeah. I, yeah, which I like. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, this movie obviously had a, a, a budget to it. It wasn't like it was a howling or American werewolf in London where they were realizing, okay, if we do the effects really well, we might have something special here. This was like, okay, we need to have the effects, but don't go too crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you can have so many actors and so many effects, but after that, it's sort of like, then you got to film it in Joe Dante's office. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You're never going to get, though, John Coscarelli was meant to direct this, which I think would have been amazing. Like, he's, Ooh, yeah, because yeah, he's really good at capturing that kind of innocence, uh, especially with things like Phantasm and that Kenny and Co., which is like a really early movie of his. Yeah. I think he's really good at capturing that kind of innocence um, with kind of the scary overhang. So I think his, Silver Bullet would have been absolutely fascinating um, to, to, oh, yeah. to watch. Yeah, but no, I think I have of, a um, yeah, I, I have a copy of his um, autobiography behind me that I found um, when I was in America. It's actually signed by him. I walked into a shop, and went, "Oh, there's his book." Bought it, walked out, and went, "Oh crap, it's signed." <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, so I, I love the guy. <laughs> I think he's brilliant, and I love um most of his movies. Are, you know, they're all pretty fun. Like I, the the Phantasm movies are just crazy. Yeah, I mean, he made Reggie a star. Well, not really, but he still made Reggie a, a, a full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Chainsaw wielding, um, whatever they fight in the Phantasm, tall man. Um, what are those little guys yep. out of Phantasm? He kind of made Reggie the star of that that franchise, which I will always love him for. And no, I do like all his movies. I think he's a really smart filmmaker, especially when it comes to working with a budget. And I think mm. so. If he's having to work with a budget, it obviously in Canada because queen of canada megan fellows is in this and also cory hayne um i think it's kind of would have been a really interesting take but the movie we have is pretty great like i don't yeah. think there's too many things to criticize about it i mean you get that gary Busey performance you get that everett mcgill performance and i mm-hmm. love every single time so i've not seen i get really distracted with shows so i still have not seen season two of um or season three of um twin peaks but he is amazing in twin peaks and also even better in people under the stairs. I mean, it's yeah. So I am currently watching Twin Peaks for the first time. Uh... So I I was too young when it first came out, and I've had the box set for a very long time. And I reckon I've watched the pilot six or seven times, and then just you get distracted by other things. So I'm I'm making a point. My my family watch The Voice or one of those sorts of shows or The Masked Singer or something, and I don't like them at all. So I go yeah. and watch an episode when that stuff's on. So I'm I'm really enjoying it. And Big Ed is a very good character. He is. I remember trying to watch Twin Peaks as a kid and just was just like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> Why is Ray Wise dancing? I don't understand yeah. any what is happening. I've it, gone back to it and gone, oh, yes, I'm, I'm getting what it is now because I understand David Lynch. But as a kid, I was just like, yeah, that weird show, Twin Peaks, everyone's talking about yeah. I don't get it. Again, when you talk Simpsons references, is that one where Homer's sitting there and there's a man dancing with a horse and he's like, this, is, this show is brilliant. 
I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yes. I think a lot of people did. I think they recognized something was happening, but they were just like, Black Lodge, you sure. right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Weird backwards talking people. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, okay, I'm in. So, yeah, I'm, I need to do that because I keep trying. I think I've seen the first four episodes like so many times and then I get distracted mm-hmm. by something. And everyone keeps saying like the third series is like the best 10-hour movie ever made. I'm just like, okay, I, I probably do need to sit down and, and watch, find out what Dougie is. Like I do need to try and figure that out. Yeah, 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 I agree. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about Silver Bullet before we go on to the blub? No, I'm. I think, yeah. As werewolf movies go, it's it's up there. Um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely a gateway horror for the older kids. Yes, very very much so. Okay, speaking of seeming gateway horrors that um, the Silver Bullet actually is, we're going to get into a gateway horror that I think pretends to be a gateway horror, but is actually way more gnarly. Um, yeah. Watch it. Um, but that, of course, the blub. Okay. Curtains are opening back opening. What is going to be your trailer for the blob? But we'll call it the blob, but I'm going to be saying blob a lot. What is going to be your first trailer, Andrew? So uh, my trailer, um, I went with the the small town as well. Small town invaded by something from space. And I went with one of, probably one of my favourite uh, horror comedies of all time. And that's Killer Clowns from Outer Space. It's the shooting star. Why here? Why now? Why clowns? They've been knocking them dead all over the universe. What are you gonna do? Knock my block off? Soon they'll be doing it at a theater near you. Killer clowns from outer space. Uh-huh. I kind of thought about this as well. Uh, especially what's his name saying the title line is like the greatest thing ever. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Um, the great actor who I'm blanking on, but yes, Killer Clowns from outer space. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a, like, I was saying that before, like my daughter... She sat down and watched Killer Clowns with me one day. Like she, she likes Monster Squad, and she's sort of borderline into horror. Um, and so I said, "All right, let's watch this. It's it's stupid. It's silly. It's you know, it's the there's not that much gore. It's the the scariest moment I think is when they use one of the actors as a ventriloquist dummy. But the rest of it is just and a running gag in our house now is what are you going to do with those pies, boys? <laughs> and so this is where and this is so watching killer clowns with her i said to her you know do you, i have to watch the blob for something do you want to watch it with me and that's how we, we sort of gateway into the blob and it's similar sort of thing but yeah i did i forgot how um gory the blob is but yeah no she she loves killer clowns and we we have the you know the the song on now the theme song on our playlists and stuff like that so i i just love it i think it's it's hilarious it's it's almost like what peter jackson was doing in the early 90s as well with a, was, yeah. probably a bigger budget than he had um it's just that that silliness that who would have thought that uh, something killer clowns from outer space would be such a fun movie it feels like something that full moon would have made for about 1500 bucks but it's actually a lot more fun it is it's just so damn inventive like when you're looking mm. at the clown designs when you're looking at especially when they get into the final i think it's their spaceship where it just looks like this magic amazing fun house kind of thing you're like yeah i'd go yep. hang out in that spaceship for a while i think it's their spaceship yeah but the clowns look 
like the aliens dressed up as cl- I don't know. There's something yeah. about the the brothers Kyoto brothers. I can't remember the, the the guys who did this. Um, the Kyoto brothers. Kyoto brothers. They are so inventive in what they're mm. doing with it, and it does which the blob is, and probably my trailer is also going to reflect is this kind of 1980s trying to be like a weird 1950s space invasion yep. movie, and it is um no it's just so much fun i mean you just watch this and you just got this big smile on your face going i can't yeah. believe they got away with this movie this yeah. is insane <laughs> yeah it's like you know people get eaten by shadow puppets like it's yes. crazy it's it's just you know and they turn them into fairy floss and then drink them and popcorn guns and things like that like it's just it's so silly but it, it's so much fun it's it's a great one like it's a good halloween movie i think to pop on as well i think it's just yeah it's it's a classic and i love it it is it is so so good that is an absolute perfect trailer and uh, for my trailer, speaking of Monster Squad, because I'm speaking of Fred Decker and uh, Shane Black, I am going to go for their Night of the Creeps from 1986. Yes. But tonight is also the Night of the Creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you. get in through your mouth and you walk around while they incubate even if you're dead they are a new terror they are a different kind zombies exploding heads creepy crawlies we could have a little problem the creeps are taking over I got good news and bad news, girls. What? The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Again, another 1980s, 50s throwback. Uh, an alien worm thing goes down and then starts possessing people. You have uh, Tom Atkins saying, thrill me. Every single time he answers the phone, does not have the moustache, yep. which, like the fog, I'm a little weirded out by. It is a bit strange. It's a little bit strange, but it's just again one of those really fun movies a lot of a sort of imagination it kind of plays with these tropes it's i haven't seen it for a while i need to actually re-watch it because i just mm-hmm. it's one of those again a whole bunch of fun yeah it's great it's and it's you know i think i don't know if we talked about last but i'm not a big fan of zombie movies i, I like zombie movies but i'm a i'm a purist i'm a romero zombie yeah. person or a, or a return of the living dead zombie person and so this is it's it's aliens but it's also a zombie movie but it's it's just fun and yeah again it's another one that there's these the movies like killer clowns like the blob like night of the creeps that just play so well and they're not they're the sort of movies that you find as a kid as well a similar sort of thing where you go to the video shop or the you know the dvd shop as you get older and you look at oh night of the creeps this looks all right and you put it on and it becomes one of your favorite movies just because of how crazy it is but how much fun it is too it really is i mean it's again a movie I wish I kind of saw when I was younger, but it's obviously I didn't see it till I saw Halloween three and realized how amazing Tom Tom Atkins is. So I was yep. just trying to search for more of his movies, and it is fun. I mean, even I think it has like a Monster Squad uh, thing on somewhere reference on, on one of the bathrooms in there. It is. It's not a movie that's taken itself too seriously. It's got a smart script because Shane Black was behind it. Uh, it was help writing yep. it, um, and it, yeah, it just does everything it needs to and. Yeah, I think I tend to be a little bit more of a purist with zombies, mainly because zombies freaked me out when I was a kid. If I saw like yeah, okay. Romero, anything Romero on the TV, I was like, 
absolutely not. So when even they did The Walking Dead, I'm like, no, I'm not watching that show. I think it was something like, <laughs> um, I think I finally watched uh, Peter Jackson's zombie movie, uh, Diddle, not Diddle Life, because that is the American name, um, Brain Dead. And yep. it is, and I went, oh, you're not meant to take this movie seriously. I always thought oh, this no. was like, like I didn't realize Splatter Gore was meant to be funny as a kid. I <laughs> kind of, yeah. So it was kind of that when I went, oh, I think even though I had second time I watched the movie because the first time I was kind of horrified. God, yeah, I love, it, I love Brain Dead. It's Brain one Dead of my favorites. So good. I mean, it's, it's... yeah. I mean, talk about. I mean, yes, I love Romero's things, but when you watch that zombie movie and the custard with the of the air, I'm just like, no. <laughs> or the um, your mother ate my dog. Not all of it. <laughs> the zombie baby. Oh my god, it is just. So outlandish, and it just plays everything to the hilt. And as you said, mm-hmm. the Kyoto brothers were definitely relying on that. And this one's yeah. going to be some more of a, again, another kind of a chosen gateway horror for a movie that will kind of fuck a lot of kids up. But yeah. it is, it's definitely got that kind of night. I I love eighties, nineteen fifties throwback horror movies. Yeah, that, that there's That's a my feel, era. That is a feel that I absolutely love. And with that, we must get to the ultimate nineteen eighties, fifties, fifties throwback. If it had a mind, you could reason with it. If it had a body, you could shoot it. If it had a heart, you could kill it. Now, man is no longer the supreme being on this planet. The organism is growing at a geometric rate. By all accounts, it's at least a thousand times its original mass. Nobody believes me about what happened tonight. What did happen? You were there. You saw. Plasmic life form that hunts its prey. Predator. I want that organism alive. I think you ticked it off. With Kevin Dillon and the most okay, I love I love this movie to death. I think it's I no notes, but Kevin Dillon's wig is so distracting. <laughs> and you just get that out of the way before I praise it to the hilt. But yep. my God, I'm just like, just take the wig off, Kevin. You don't need it. Yeah, man. <laughs> yes. You gotta look like a bad boy with a mullet in the eighties. Come on. <laughs> I mean, you got the flouncy shirt. I mean, they whatever they did to poor Kevin Dillon in that movie, I. <laughs> I apologize for him. <laughs> it was yeah. not. It was not this. So I have I have a bit of a history with this one. So my my dad passed away in '91. So I was about eight years old when my dad passed away. But before that, he introduced me to Jaws and this. Oh wow! I was I was seven when I watched this the first time. Um, I loved it, but it did it you know caused maybe a couple of sleepless nights as a kid because uh, it's. The gore in I didn't remember how gory it actually was. It's um like I sat down with my daughter who's eleven and I thought, okay, that's probably a bit better for her, you know, probably a bit better of an age to watch this movie. And there were there were a couple of times where, you know, like and we'll get to it, but the the way the blob sort of dissolves people and it's you know, or the the, the most famous scene, the guy in the sink. And yes. even my daughter she looked at me and she goes, Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
so it's it's a lot more gory than you think of it like it's you know like i've got a blu-ray copy that has um the 1950s blob with steve mcqueen son oh, of blob and this yes oh, Stephen I... mcqueen event yes yeah. um but it's, it's got all of those in that little collection and it's so it, it's a bit of fun but it's sort of yeah it's and it throws so many tropes on its head very early on and it's just so well made it's so well made. I mean, my history with it is I had stayed away from it for a while because I had seen an image when I was a kid. I think I was probably about 10 of, um, is it not Paul Mc- No, Donovan uh, Leach being covered in it and just like being slowly eaten. And all is he's just like that whole mm-hmm. amazing image of just the, he's being pulled by it. Yeah. trying to get out. Um, he's reaching then, a hand out. Reaching a hand out, which freaked me out. And also, weirdly, um, in the movie Grease, which I loved, I hated the scene when Danny and Sandy are at the drive-in seeing the blob and you see the trailer for the blob and the whole thing of the pink ooze coming out of the movie there that yep. freaked me out. <laughs> just the whole notion of this thing I just did not like. So I was like, no, no, I don't like pink um, alien ooze just like um, eating people. That I, I didn't quite understand how that would happen. So I was um, mm-hmm. there. And then when I finally sat down and watched I still haven't seen the original Son of the Blob, which I love how in the 50s it was always Son of, Ghost of, the yeah. lady version. I kind of sat down and watched it and it kind of blew me away because it just turns everything on its head so quickly. The fact that yeah. you can't trust the government or the army, which the 80, um, even yeah. in the 80s was a time when movies were saying you can trust the government in the 80s. It was Reaganism, so it yep. was all rah-rah. Um, so it wasn't like the 70s. It was a time of Shawnee Smith going, okay, actually, we're going to kill the hero off Hitchcock style, and Shawnee Smith is going to be the badass who's going to take it down. Yeah. It is, oh, no, they kill a kid. It's like, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's the part yeah. I've forgotten about. Yeah. The kid who's probably 12. Yeah. And then, yeah, they, the blob eats him. It's like, whoa, did not expect that at all. No, no. I mean, it's kind of amazing how the people you really don't like get the best death. Like, I think I wrote in my notes, yes, the, tr- the true um, bad guy is the guy who's talking through the movie. And he gets yeah. completely sucked up because it's because it, it's in the roof. I mean, the effects in this movie are astounding. We've mentioned a few. The guy getting pulled down the pipe is an incredible scene. Yeah. The scene when Paul Candy Clark is in the phone booth and you just see Jeffrey DeMunn's face. Oh, <laughs> well, but but that's, that's the other thing that it plays. Like, he's the sheriff. He's supposed yeah. to be the, the local sheriff who's supposed to be the hero in the movie or at least one of the heroes in the movie. He's dead 20 minutes in. The, the thing is, he is Jeffrey DeMunn is so good in this movie in his, like, two, two or three scenes is that I still am kind of convinced that it's going to be about him and Candy Clark. Like, that's yeah. how... Yeah. Just, and you, oh. you feel for him. You in those scenes, like he's, he's obviously he's like, oh, you know, I'm mean, the local sheriff. The football team's about to finish. It's going to be a busy night, and he's at the local diner, and he's he's in love with Candy Clark, and he says says to her, you know, do you want to go out for dinner? She's like, I've got to be here till eleven. The football game, and then he gets the little note, and it says, you know, meet me after eleven, sort of thing. And you get, and it has him doing a few more scenes, and it's like you you fall in love with the characters, and then all of a sudden she's in the phone booth. And he's pushed up against it with the blob yeah, eating him. Like yeah. it's, it just comes out of nowhere, and you're just like, "Whoa!" This it subverts every trope you've ever seen in a horror movie. Exactly, because I love the fact that um, Donovan is set up as the perfect quarterback. He's going to date the cheerleader, and he's going to defeat the blob. And he's a good guy. Like I love the scene in the pharmacy or chemist um, with what's his name. <laughs> And the priest comes again, really interesting one-eyed priest kind of thing happening in yeah. the way that this movie kind of says when you can't trust, if, if you can't trust the government, 
where do you go? And it's crazy religion. Like, I think that hits so much more than it did when mm -hmm. I first saw this uh, about 10 years ago, or nearly 20 years ago now. Um, yeah, it just hits so much more in the fact that it's dull close. I just find it so yeah. freaking funny. Um, this cast is, oh my God. Oh. Um, it is so, yeah, sort of setting up that, you know, it's still got the 80s sort of sex thing, but it's all about the condoms and like trying to buy condoms for the night and all that kind of thing. And <laughs> just every it. adult. I love him. Oh my God, it's so good. And then he just pulls the paper down here, the newspaper. Ribbed. Ribbed. <laughs> oh, my dad usually doesn't act like that with people he doesn't know. And he's like, yeah, well. Yeah, we, we met. Uh, Awkward. <laughs> um, it, but it's just this amazing, and it sets up the small town perfectly. Like, you know everyone, and it's mm -hmm. so well done. So when the blob kind of comes in, and it does it really quickly, I mean, the blob, like, I nearly chose Slither as a trailer because it's the other ultimate don't pick, don't poke this thing with a stick. And the, the guy yeah, like yep. poking with a stick. And then it just suddenly goes in. I mean, the effects are amazing and they're some of the best in in a movie. But at the same time, you care instantly about these characters when you first yeah. meet them. Um, and they completely subvert your thing of so when you are losing Jeffrey DeMond and Candy Clark really quick into the movie, you're like, but wait. What's going to happen now? Or when the kid die, uh, Donovan dies, you're like, but wait, wait, they, all the people who I think are going to be set up to fight this thing aren't. And then you nope. get Shorty Smith at the end with the machine gun kicking all the ass and just being kind of uh, amazing. And since I have been watching also quite a bit of Saw, I'm like, maybe I'm a Shorty Smith train at the moment. I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my God, there's a way in three where she's like lovingly putting a bomb around someone's neck. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. It's so good. Yeah, so I think it's just a masterclass in how you do these things. I mean, this was uh, written, uh, co-written by Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont, who I think, apart from Mike Flanagan, is the other guy who got gets Stephen King to a mind yeah. level. Maybe yep. kind of John Carpenter as well, but I don't think he just turns everything into John Carpenter in this kind of amazing way. Christine yep. is good, a lot better for that. But I think Frank Darabont and Mike Flanagan are guys who get Stephen King on a minute level as they understand how sentimental this guy's work is. Yeah. And they kind of infuse it in that and then turn it on its head. Even something like uh, Shawshank Redemption or Green Mile does, even though Green Mile is like trickly to the point of sickly, it still does those same things. Yeah. So I kind of credit a lot of it with Darabont more than I do Chuck Russell a little bit, even though. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Darabont is amazing. And he, you know, it, it's if people who have seen The Mist, like the ending of The Mist is one of the most horrifying endings in a movie ever. And I was not I ready. Even... I wish that someone had warned me because I oh god was not happy. <laughs> no, no, and it's it's even Stephen King came out because I've read the story that that's based on, and it's, it doesn't end like that. Yeah, and no, it, and and even Stephen King came out and went. Man, that's dark even for me. Because <laughs> I like it. I wish I kind of did that, but shit, <laughs> dude. God, it's but yeah, but um, Darabont is. I think he doesn't get enough credit for the adaptations he's made, and I think you know I watched the first season of The Walking Dead, and I really liked it up until sort of the end of the um the last episode, and then I never went back to it. And I think Darabont, you got kicked off the show, and it was sort of like he was doing the right thing with it, and. I don't know. I just feel like he probably would have made it a, a lot more interesting, but you know, to each their own. It was, it's not for me. I, I, it's one of those shows where I go, yeah, I read the comics. I read a good chunk of the comics and it was, 
you read the comic books and you get to certain parts of when you go, I have to go and watch cartoons or something because this is so dark and so horrible that I can't read anymore right now. No, I mean, I've read a little bit of the comic and I think I had to put it down because I'm like, oh, this is kind of the mist for me, like that ending of the mist. Like you're enjoying it, you're yeah. loving it, you're loving all the characters. Certain characters are getting what they deserve. They get out yeah. and then the ending happens and it's like, it's not just the ending, it's what happens afterwards. Uh, I don't want to spoil it because yeah. if you haven't seen The Mist, it's something you need to experience and you will not be happy. You need to go um, blind, 100%. You need to go on blind. And I was pure, I was so furious. But what happens <laughs> after the thing that happens and you're just like, mother, you know, it was like the yeah. worst timing um, ever. It is just no. And you, but you understand why each character makes the decisions that they make. Mm-hmm. But poor Thomas Jane, I'm just like, no, 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 oh. no. It's... Yeah, it's one. Of, it's definitely one of those. I would have loved to have been in a cinema the opening night for that to watch a cinema experience that ending as well. Just to you know, stand up the front for the last 15 minutes and just watch them all just jaw drop, scream at the screen. I'd love it. What the? Yeah, because it is. It yeah. is. It is heartbreaking and it is anger inducing. And it is kind yep. of genius. <laughs> I don't watch them as very often because there's a certain mood I need to be and I need to prepare. Still, I need to prepare myself yeah. for that. But it is because um, you're having a great time, like in that mm. shopping, in that supermarket, whatever it is that they're all trapped in for the bulk of the movie. That that stuff is yeah. Jeff's got this really amazing mix of sincereness and sometimes uh, to the point of it gets a bit trickly to the point of darkness. Like all his characters have a mm. heart of. There's a heart of darkness to it. And there's a heart of darkness to the blob is the fact that the blob is just taking people out in the worst possible ways. It does, even though yeah. it's taking out characters you like and it's ca- taking out characters you really don't like. So sometimes you do get a sense of joy, like the guy who's talking throughout the movie. Like, that's got to be annoying. Not just talking, but just saying what's about to happen. I'm like, mother, don't, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a part of the 13th movie, but we all know what's going to happen, but you don't need yeah. the commentary from you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, the guy in the car with the girl making yes! drinks and stuff. And it's like, nah, I can't wait to watch you die, mate. You're, you're a shocker. And he does. The, and it's the, great. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And the, um, you know, the, the scientists and the, the doctor who you think is going to be the, the voice of reason with the scientists and the military. And then all of a sudden he's like, no, no, I just, you know, let him eat, let him die. Who cares? And you're like, yeah. oh, you're an asshole too. Oh, he's, kind of the worst asshole because he's presented yeah. as the doctor and you're like okay so he's gonna try and figure this thing out and he's got that like peter coyote thing in et where he's like do you know how exciting this is i mean i wanted this experience you're having is something i've been dreaming about all my life and yep. now it's here you you don't understand how amazing this is and elliot's like going screw you you killed my friend yeah. but it is you think he's going to be peter coyote He's not. He is literally a guy who is like, okay, I screwed up. Let's see what this thing does. We'll contain yeah. it, but I want to see how this thing's attacking things. I want to see exactly how this thing works. Really insidious. So his death is fantastic. Um, yeah. Even though my favorite gag is the Dar- is uh, Paul Deman smashed up against the, the glass. I think it's an amazing gag. He's like, no, he came down the diner to see you. And then you just see him. Um, yeah, float there by. He is. <laughs> Horrifying, because the, the rug is pulled out from you and you're like, but wait, who's left? Like, I, yeah. I liked him. I, I wanted him to stick around. And the movie doesn't let that happen. And so you've got all these, even the amount of times you watch it, you still got these conflicting feelings, even though you're half looking forward to the gag because it's just so well done. Like the guy being pulled down into the plug. Even the kid 
the way he dies is kind of incredible. Um, yeah. But then you're sitting there going, I now have to rely on Johnny Drama and the, the dumb receptionist from Becca. This <laughs> isn't going to be good. <laughs> this is true. I forgot it was Johnny Drama. <laughs> That's looking at it from a now like now point of view. Like you know, you know, back then it would have been like, oh yeah, cool, all right. But now it's like, well, it's Linda from was it Linda from Becca when she was she's just the dumb receptionist yeah. and Johnny Drama from a show I wish I hadn't invested time in. Now that I think about, I'm it. actually kind of glad I've only seen two episodes. Like I am oh, fully happy. I, I got I got like three quarters of the way through it before I went. I hate this show, but now I need to finish it because I just need to finish it. I just oh, want to know. No. I hope they all die at the end, but I want to know what happens. <laughs> um, yeah, because you now look at, because I'm kind of looking at him going, um, maybe it was, I kind of wish it was your brother, Kevin, because um, you're just Johnny, yeah, and the mullet. I think he is kind of not as, because I do generally like Shorty Smith, but yeah, she's the dumb receptionist. Like, oh, this is not going to end well. Or she's like, you know, um, uh, Jigsaw's assistant. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yikes. Um, yeah, she had went through a lot of trauma and went through a lot of shit by the time she gets to uh, Saw 3. Yeah, but, I reckon that's, I, that's how she ends up there, I reckon. That's it's me the, too. Same universe. She she survives the blob. She becomes a drug addict and ends up hanging out with um, Tobin Bell. Yeah. I mean, that, not, yeah. A, yeah. not a bear. That completely, I was actually thinking that watching it. I'm like, this is the same character from the blob. I'm pretty yeah. sure this is the same character from the blob. Like, this is yeah. straight line. <laughs> Um, yeah, because she keeps saying the trauma of gone through. I'm like, yeah, I know. I saw the blob. Like, that was a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would, that would, I understand why you're here now. That would be horrible for anybody. Exactly. I would totally become a drug addict and um, <laughs> had my all my, I just, when I realized that what the end leads to in Saw 2, I was like going, oh, it's all because of the blob. That's why she wants revenge on Donnie um, Wahlberg. Sorry, spoilers for friggin' sword too. <laughs> she wants revenge on Donnie Wahlberg. Also because his brother created Entourage. That's all it was. Exactly. That is that is the main reason. It wasn't because of all the things Donnie did. It was like, look, you have to go down for your brother. I'm sorry. Entourage yeah. is just not happening. We don't have the budget to get him here right now. Sorry. You can play a game to suffer your sins because your brother... <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna play a game. We're gonna make you eat one of your shitty hamburgers from your burger store. <laughs> no, anything but that. Yeah, this, this will give you explosive diarrhea. <laughs> oh my god, it's like the freaking pig scene in Saw Three. Oh, that those. <laughs> like I can handle the ones in Saw Two because they're mostly blood and guts. Saw Three goes mm -hmm. to a deeper level, and I'm not happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I watched them all for a podcast a few years ago. I. Oh, it was a yeah. That was a long, a long few weeks. Yeah, it's just like I do do not ever go on a saw bench because you will need five showers after. Oh. There is just something. Oh. Yeah. Um, but the good effects, but yeah. Um, <laughs> unlike the blob effects, they make me happy, even though yeah, they just like because I think my partner came home and I was just about the guy, and I'm like. Did the typical guy in the thing, and he's like, "What's this?" I'm like, it's the blob. He's like, "Oh yeah, he's about to die." I'm like, yeah, he's about to get pulled into a sinkhole. And dead. my brother's like, "How?" I'm like, "Just watch." It's like, "Oh yeah, yeah just watch." Just go. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and it's cool too. It looks, it looks so good. It's just, again, practical effects. It, it just, it just looks so good. It's, you know, it just works so well. It's what kind of filmmaking kind of should be on a certain level, like. And I know movies change and I know trends change and how technology changes. Like they weren't making movies like this in like the 1930s because hmm. it was just different. I mean, you used uh, time stop and thing motion and all these other kind of tricks. Yeah. 
this one, there are, I mean, I think I was listening to a guy who did the effects, Tony, someone, and he said the blob was a blanket. I went, no, it wasn't. No, that was yeah. a Delinda's blob that you made. No, no, it was a blanket that we wet with a sort of a goo and had guys moving around underwood, under it. I'm like, no, I still don't believe that. That's power. so clever. Yeah, it's so clever, but I still don't believe it was that simple. Like something. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get editing, you get lighting, you get kind of all these things that kind of shape it into what it is. But I'm like, that is not a blanket with do's underneath. I'm sorry, that is an actual blob. <laughs> a bacteria thing you created by man. It is going around and eating people with acid. That's that's exactly what exactly. that thing is. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the old, you know, we couldn't work out how to do it with special effects, so we just created a blob. It's fine. Yeah, it's we just fine. did it. You know, it's, yeah. the, it's the Stanley Kubrick. He, uh, you know, he, he faked the moon landing, but the only problem was that he had to shoot on location. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> that is my favourite joke of all time. It's just like, yeah, no, it was yeah, like the Stanley Kubrick, so, but he had to, like, why do you choose the most... Okay, so if the conspiracy thing is that the moon fails landing, why do you choose the most perfectionist filmmaker of all goddamn time? I mean, there are other <laughs> filmmakers who would do it for cheaper. They wouldn't have to go to the moon. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, God, it makes me laugh. Yeah. Kubrick. Yeah, it had to be Kubrick. <laughs> of course it had to be Kubrick, yeah. And then he tells us all about it in The Shining, because that makes sense too. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, the but the effects of the, you know... It, the, the blob is the star because it's, you know, you're looking at the effects of when they're in the, the movie theater and he's up on the roof. Yes. It looks so gory and, and just, oh, it's just so incredible. And it, even the ending with the little blob in a jar and the crystals and it's, it's just, I, I think there was, a, I'm assuming there was a plan to make a sequel, you know, the son of blob again or something like that. It's definitely um, setting but, up for that way, but yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't had another blob movie with, the problem is now it's just going to be all CGI, which is not it's not going to work for me. But I'm just surprised we haven't had one. Like it's, it seems like a franchise that really would benefit from a modern remake as well. I think it would because I think it's sort of saying so much, especially when I sort of was watching this and went, "Oh shit!" When you can't believe in the government, you just start believing standard Stanley Kubrick fake the moon landing. Like that's mm. kind of yeah. what happens. You believe. I mean, the fact that it's a revival, the fact that he's a normal reference or whatever he is. And the fact that he ends up because he gets his uh, becomes like a revival preacher who has, yeah. I think it speaks to so much. I don't even know if that was the intent of the movie. I, that might have just been, hey, how do we set this up? Right, he's a revival thing. He's got the thing in the jar. Like I love how the blob just like apparently doesn't break the the, the glass clippy jar when it can like, yeah. do so much. I'm like, I don't quote by that. But the <laughs> fact that it ends like that, I think probably was just a hey, okay, how do we set this up for a sequel? But now it speaks to so much in terms of power structures, who you can and cannot trust, why you mm. can't why you can't think and trust certain things, what happens when there are cover-ups, there are because it's not to say the government's never not done a shitty thing in its life. I mean, that's yeah weave throughout. But once you finally lose that trust, where do you go? And it sort of seems to be this more spiritualist, weird, revival kind of thing. And I think it is because of that, it has aged so much better than I think a lot of and I'm surprised that I think it is perfect for a remake but all I keep thinking is the thing prequel and how they decided yeah. not to use the practical effects for that one and it loses something because as you said the blob is the star and it's the practical effects of, of the movie like hmm. I couldn't help but think of the thing and the fly which are the two horror remakes of the 80s that tend to get banded around now if you know if you're more of a horror nerd like we are the blob is also in that conversation but it's yeah the thing in those three movies 
But the whole thing with all those three movies is that it's the practical effects that stars of those movies. It's yep. how the people meld. I mean, that scene in the thing where the guy's kind of like half the guy and he's like standing in the snow, his arms kind of not quite um, tethered together properly and they're about to set mm-hmm. him on fire. That is an amazing scene. And yeah. I think there are certain effects that really work with CGI, but I think there are certain effects that only can work practically. And I don't know how you make those now. And that is the thing, yeah. that is the blob and that is the fly. I think, the, yeah, you're right. I, yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's it's just, you know, it, it would be very easy to make a blob movie now with CGI. And yeah. I don't think, but I don't think that's the way to go about it. But I, I, unfortunately, a studio is not going to throw money at a big budget practical effects movie now when they could just do it with a computer yeah and that's that's where the problem is it's you know it's it's be easy it'd be simple just to be able to paint you know do whatever you do with the cgi and everything and it just yeah i'd rather they just didn't do it honestly no i mean the, the only person who could do it would be christopher nolan and i don't want christopher nolan to make a blob movie i think that would be very weird he would do it practically he would actually invent a jealous acidic creature for the, for the movie mm. but yeah, he would yeah he's just like oh we couldn't do it practically <laughs> so we just made one um yeah. But he's the Another only, guy. yeah, yeah, he's, <laughs> for Christian Bale and it'll be fine. No, it's, um. <laughs> no, it'll be Killian Murphy, you know that. It has to be. <laughs> <laughs> I really got into Method when I played the blob. Um, yeah. it's... <laughs> Although Christian Bale would put on all the weight for the actual role too, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's the only one who seems to get away with making it as practical as he possibly mm. can. Um, but you're right. I think there are certain movies that need a more practical. As I said, I don't mind CGI. I'm watching a superhero movie. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. I miss sets. That's the one thing I do miss. I miss like a, when yeah. I see something in a set. I'm like, oh, they actually made this. This is cool. Like when watching Andor, and you realize this isn't a blue screen or a volume or whatever. I get a little excited. But for something like those three movies that I mentioned, I think they need to be practical because they are all centered around body horror. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard to make body horror CGI because I think there needs to be a um, a tactile nature to what is happening when you're yeah. talking about body horror. Um, the blob 100%. is a little bit different, but things are happening to the body. You're being melted. You are being melted from the outside in. You're being consumed. You're being digested by the by this creature. Um, the thing is a thing that overtakes your body, and the fly is an absolute transformation to a fly human. So I think, which is. Yeah, body horror needs to be uh, suits a more of a practical way of making filmmaking, which is probably why you don't see it as often as anymore. Because I think, yeah, yeah, they've got to be like when you talk horror remakes, those have to be the top three of all time, don't they? Yes, the thing, the fly, the blob, and then they just they took the original stories and just made them so much better. And you know, as much as fun as the thing from another world and the original fly and the original blob are. These movies are just, these are the ones that, you know, you get told about, especially something like The Fly, you get told about the the original as a kid, or you you know about the original as a kid, and then you watch the remake with Jeff Goldblum, and it's, yeah. oh, man, it's the, you know, the the scene with the, the arm wrestling scene and the things like that, and, like, Goldblum now, I, I reckon if you said to someone, hey, you know that guy, that kind of weird guy who's, you know, kind of quirky in movies and stuff? Yeah, go back and watch him in The Fly when he is just incredible. He is giving... A performance where that's not based on his mannerisms, and I say that as a person mm. who loves Jurassic Park, and that him Malcolm yeah, yeah. is Dr. Malcolm is all his ticks. 
which I yeah. think works. Um, but this is, he's not relying on his text. It is a love story between him and Gina Davis. There's a scene yeah. when, when he's pulling like his things off his body, like his fingernails. Oh. It's like, mm. and there's this other scene where he's about to have sex with this other woman and she raises her, because it's Cronenberg, so it's going to be freaking horny as all hell. She raises her legs and spreads them like an insect. Like there's no other way yep. to kind of, I mean, you've got three directors. Chuck Russell, I think is a little bit more patchy, but Carpenter and Cronenberg are like, there's a reason why they are legends because they yeah, got 100%. this thing. And I think Chuck Russell did so well. I mean, just everything about the blob works. I mean, it is such a strong, strong script. It is such a um, really mostly strong cast, except for poor Kevin, before Johnny drama. I'm watching it going, ah, oh, you need to be better acted than the football guy because you're annoying. And yeah. I love this movie, but, and I'm like getting way distracted by your mullet. But I think he generally works for what he's doing in the movie. And I love the fact that he knows he has to be second fiddle to Shawnee Smith, who's actually yeah. taking control of everything. And she was just the cheerleader at the beginning of the movie. So the, the script is amazing. The way it's put together is amazing. The effects are amazing. And it's got some amazing performances in it where you're just generally going, okay, I believe everything Jeffrey DeMunn is doing. I believe that there's an amazing dichotomy between the sheriff and the government and whether the sheriff, what side the sheriff's going to take, I think is, fasc- is a fascinating moment mm-hmm. with what's his name. Um, no, it just, it's it's almost a perfect movie. Like, yeah. 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 I, it's one of those movies that you keep, I keep coming back to as well. Yeah. And like I said, when I showed my daughter, she really liked it. She, you know, she thought it was, is the grass between, you know, you, you have to understand this isn't computers. This is all practical. This is someone doing this by hand, making all this sort of stuff. And mostly I think in camera that- as well. There's a couple of scenes you can tell something's been imposed, like when he comes out of the, the blob comes out of the movie theater, mm. but it's mostly in camera stuff. Yeah. 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 And it's, I think that's where my, I think with her, her gateway is going to be because she liked Killer Clowns from Outer Space. She liked Monster Squad. She liked this. I think with her, she's going to be a practical effects kid. That's where I'm going to sell her on a lot of this sort of stuff. So I'll have to, I'm going to have to dig through the archives now and find some really good ones as well. I don't think she's ready for the thing or the fly though. I think that might be a few years ahead. No, I still remember my dad was a huge Howard. My dad loves Howard Hawks and he Mm -hmm. loved the original. So I think it was on New Zealand's version Sky of Foxtel. And it sort of said the thing. And I think he legitimately thought it was a thing from that space. So he goes, you should watch this. I'm going to watch this movie. You might like it. And I was about 19. We didn't get past the thing with the dogs. <laughs> no. Was, as no. soon as that dog just went full thing, I fell behind the couch. Like, I was like, what the? <laughs> and my dad just went, absolutely not. <laughs> we yeah. turned it off. At the end of that one. So, yeah, okay. I made the mistake. I made, I made the mistake of showing her critters. Oh, no. I thought, oh, this can't be that bad. It's actually scarier than you think it is. And it really, I was like, oh, crap. This, yeah, and I thought that's, I probably ruined her from horror for a while. But she, she got back there. The second one I think is a bit silly, but I could rewatch that and go, yeah. oh, wait, that is actually kind of terrifying. Um, <laughs> but you forget sometimes how terrifying things is, but I still remember my first watch of the thing. And I think when he realized that um, I was just behind the couch going, absolutely, what, did, well, what is that dog? I know. And it was like, that is only 15 <laughs> minutes into the movie when that happens. Yeah. I didn't even get to everything else that's going on. <laughs> yep. Oh, 100%. Oh, God. Now it's... I own the Blu-ray. Now I love that movie to death, yeah. but I still oh, remember brilliant. Yeah, it's the only two things that have got me behind the couch is the thing and the ring. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's fair. I get that with the ring, too. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. yeah. My friend no, goes, I, um... oh, you've seen the remake? Wait, do you see the original? And as soon as she goes, comes out from that well, I'm like, and I'm behind the couch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, oh, I went through a bit of a phase of um, Japanese horror, and there's some of the stuff in there you just go, 
I, I don't need, I didn't need to sleep anyway. It's fine. The way that the, you, know, you see the little like you know the clicking noises or the the the, the little boy in um, the grudge with the noisy. I can't yeah. do it, but he makes this like clicking weird clicking rattle noise, and it's just like no, nah, I'll stick with the blob. Thank you. Stick with the blob, but even though I love the sound effects of the blob as well, I mean Patrick Bromley is very famous for going blob every single time he mentions it. Now I've started to do that as well, <laughs> um, but it does make a blob blob blob. It's actually kind of this weird innocuous sound, but as soon as you hear it, you're like. Oh no! But then you'll also hear a rumble, like when it's coming. Yeah, yeah. There's there's yeah. ways that it kind of gets you in the mood for you're out to see a blob, or it just like appears in the movie theater. You just look up and go, "Uh oh, it was there the whole Uh-oh. entire time." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the the color, the color of the blob too, the the pinky, purpley yes. sort of weird, you know, which they used again for Color Out of Space, which is a great movie but we can't mention that director anymore because he's oh, a piece of shit so it really broke my heart too but yeah. i really because i really did like that guy's movies and um oh, hardware is one of my favorite movies of all time and yeah. it, it broke my heart um but yeah so like that just that color that pink that very 90s 80s 90s pink fluoro-y sort of color it just it, it's beautiful it works so well yeah and it looks otherworldly as well i don't know what yeah. it is about it i mean space i remember being in a just last actually beginning of this year we went to this small new zealand town a friend of ours was working in a winery she were like oh we'll just go and drink some wine which we did um and we were walking back and i have never seen the sky that without lights because i live in Mm -hmm. melbourne so the sky is yeah there's nothing (laughs) there's nothing when you actually go to a town where there is no lights and you're looking up at the sky you see the cosmos and it's pinks it's blues it's purples it's all these colors and you're like oh yeah i get it now like i get kind of oh we are very much not a low anyway you realize how small you are yeah you're actually looking at the actual night sky yeah and it just reminded me when i was watching the blog going oh yeah because that's what the cosmos looks like it's just a lot of pinks and purples and blues and that's what the blob is even though it's man-made which i love that twist i love the fact you find out now this is actually human-made it's a Cold War yep. kind of thing, which fits in so well. I was thinking, oh my God, it's like Manchurian Candidate. Like, you just can't yeah. trust your government. They're just doing dodgy shit behind the scenes. Um, always, always. Always, always. <laughs> Anytime something goes, yeah, we're doing this for the Cold War, I'm like, oh God, what are you guys doing? Like, um, yeah. Of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> of course you made a, a bacteria thing that now eats people with um, digesting them alive. Like, of course you did. Um, but it's... Yeah, it just works so well. And the way it just constantly keeps flipping the narrative of what you think is going to happen. It just doesn't do it once. It just does it from every single moment. Like a quiet town. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, they're all at the football game. Oh, this guy with the Letterman jacket is going to be completely our hero. No, nope, he gets eaten very quickly. Like it's yeah. not even a, yeah, it's, it just, it's, oh, this movie's so good. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, I, I just have, people just have to watch it. It's one of those ones where you just, you think, Oh yeah, it's a, a remake of a nineteen fifties sci-fi movie. Oh yeah, it probably just got churned out. No, nah, it's brilliant, and it's the, the effects are amazing. And it just, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. I think, you know, I think being shown at a young age, where it terrified me a little bit, but it's still, I still have an affinity for it. And I think it's it's one of those movies that I'll I'll watch probably once every couple of years just to remind myself how great it actually is. Well, no, even watching it as an adult, you realize that they got away with something. I mean, Chuck Russell and Frank Derriman got to make this and probably got a little bit more money behind it because they made Nightmare 3. 
know how to do imagination really well, even though I have problems with um, the mask. I think that's still really a pure imaginative movie, especially how the mask kind of eats, kind of glues on the face kind of thing, mm. um, which is all pure Chuck Russell. And yeah, I think they were able to use, um, it was kind of a height of practical effects because the late 80s is kind of a weird, now, I know everyone loves the 80s horror. Like, everyone is just like, every horror movie that came out of the 80s is brilliant. No, it wasn't, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> they're not all the blob. Um, but the late 80s was a weird time. It was like it was sliding to go down a little bit. Like, it wasn't the height of, yeah. like, 84. Um, so you do get these weird little horror movies, but then you get the blob and you're like, oh, man, that was, yeah, no, they still got that it. Was it's, good. It was yeah. good. It's just... It does everything correctly is the only thing I can yeah. say. Every choice is like, yep, yeah, boom, done. That that's how you do it. That's how you make a special effects movie, is that you get a blanket and you cover it in gelatin. Oh God. I can't believe uh, that worked so well. <laughs> can't believe that either. When I sort of he's oh no, we just use a blanket. I'm like, no, you didn't. You grew that no, thing in a lab. <laughs> yeah, don't lie. <laughs> don't lie. Why are you just, doing that? Just tell us what you did. Yeah. I do with a blanket. Just tell us what you did. Come on, just no, I meant to know it wasn't a blanket. Tell me what you did. <laughs> Love it. Uh, anything else you want to say about the blog before you finish? No, uh, it's just yeah, just watch it. Just honestly, you, it's you know, it's it's coming up to Halloween. Pop it on. It's you're gonna have a blast with it. It's it's gory. It's fun. It's it's over the top. It just works so well. And it's a perfect autumn. Well, we're in Australia, so we're going into summer. But Halloween is mostly known for autumn because everything's about the northern hemisphere, and it is a very autumn-based movie. Even though I pulled the curtain down, so I'm like, oh, it's so sunny. Um, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. sun everywhere. It's kind of hard to describe a Melbourne summer. I'm just like, no, there's just a lot of light. Like, there's just a lot yeah. of light. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and for doing these movies. I finally got to watch Silver Bullet and I got to watch The Blob again. Blob. So it's, yeah, awesome. it's been a joy. Um, before we go, please tell people where they can find your good work. Uh, so I'm on... Twitter, Instagram. I'm on all the social medias now. You just have to kind of, I can't remember what half my names are now because there's so many new ones popping up. I know. Um, Andrew underscore short 23 on Twitter, Instagram or X or whatever the, mm. uh, it's called these days. I just got um, it. Yeah, that's it. It's still Twitter. My, I haven't updated my iPad thing on it yet. So it's still Twitter on there. <laughs> I don't think I will. I'm going to leave it. <laughs> yeah, leave it. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, look, yeah, just, you know, I'm always happy to talk horror. I, I was going to say before too, when we were talking about Peter Jackson, um, he's, there's always been this rumor that he's going to remake or, you know, do 4K versions of all these old horror movies. Um, but if you want a really good horror movie as well, this Halloween, uh, Brain Dead is on YouTube for free in a very, very, very pretty uh, version. So just look it up. It's there. I watched it. I think I watch it almost every Halloween now. Yeah, that's um, how I watch it free. as well. Hmm. It looks beautiful. So it's so good. Um, and it's a brilliant movie. And it, it fits in very well with the two movies we picked tonight too. It really does. It's got the gore and it's got the fun. And though this is not a gateway horror, I would show to your no. children. This was a – this and Meet the Feebles were considered uh, rites of passage movies in New Zealand. If you, When you got to a certain stage of Friends thinking where you're about 18, 19, someone always slipped in the uh, VHS of one of those movies and you were just like, wait, oh, yeah. what? <laughs> Why are the Muppets singing about sodomy? I don't get it. No, it's like a thing about sodomy. It's one thing I remember in Meet the Peoples, except for the snuff movie. <laughs> I need to watch that again. That movie's insane. It's insane, especially when I saw, I saw, I have a massive like trauma from that movie because I was so about the Muppets and watching that movie because I think my brother was watching it. I sat down, I went, I was about 13, going, oh, it's the Muppets. And then I'm like, 
snuff. Oh no! And then I just laughed. I was like, he's made a snuff movie. I'm going. Like one of the one of the <laughs> Muppets in Meet the Feebles is making a snuff movie. That is just something that happens in the movie and a song about sodomy. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, the the best. Um movie marathony type thing i've ever been to was at the asta where we they did bad taste meet the feebles and brain dead all in one night this was many years ago uh, now but oh my that was one of the best nights of cinema i've ever been to middle of the night seeing meet the feebles would be as genius you're just like that comes on at three in the morning and you're just like perfect yes yeah. <laughs> yeah of course yeah <laughs> this will wake everybody up this is definitely gonna wake everyone up you're like what the because you can fall asleep what wake up and go what the fuck is happening Oh, yeah. So if you fall asleep at the Asta, I congratulate you. Um, because those seats, not yeah. nothing. Um, oh, for sure. Oh, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you again for coming on. I'm definitely getting you on again for something else. Um, oh, anytime. Yeah, this has been an absolute joy. Um, yeah, you can find us on all the pods. I shock an all one or reading geek. I think on all the things except TikTok because I have a weird thing against TikTok. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nothing personal. I just have an urge. No. <laughs> uh, my, my daughter got it when she got her phone she's 14 so i thought i'll jump on yeah just to just to keep an eye on some stuff and we send each other stuff all the time like just just the most stupid stuff we send each other oh it's, it's hilarious it's probably a lot of fun but as soon yeah as soon as i see a 21 year old trying to tell me about life i'm like no yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Stop it's it. okay my my feed is pretty much all horror and wrestling so it's fine oh, yeah. me. <laughs> Actually, when the wrestling scene showed, when they're watching wrestling on TV at uh, Silver Bullet, I did think of you. I was like, ah, oh, perfect. Like yeah. 1980s, uh, mid-1980s, very small shorts wrestling. Love it. Love it every time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can find me in most social media things at one of those addresses, and we will be back with another Howling Double feature. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.